The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. Good morning, church. How are you? Uh, how awesome that you came to church and you got a refrigerator magnet, right? Isn't that awesome? I, I was so excited. I came to church last night and got my refrigerator magnet and went home and put it on my refrigerator so I won't forget all the fun things we're doing this summer. So uh, I'm so glad that you are here. Um, if you missed last week, you missed an incredible uh, Sunday. Of course, it was Easter Sunday. And, uh, but my favorite part is that we celebrated with water baptisms. And we had six, six that were baptized. It was such a great Sunday. And literally before service ended, we already had people texting saying, I didn't get to get to be baptized today. When are you doing it again? And so we've already scheduled our next one for May 21st. And we wanted to let you know about that. And you can register uh, through the Church Center app that Pastor Jace just told you about. And I got to tell you a funny story. So uh, last week, uh, one of our, our, our little girls that was baptized, that night her mom sent Lisa a text and she said this. She said, we're laying here listening to the girls in the bath and they're baptizing babies in the bathtub. And they're saying the same things that Jason said during church. And then I loved this. One of their daughters, uh, Jamie, said, Jamie keeps saying, do you love Jesus? Okay, plug your nose. <laughs> so uh, May 21st, that's, I'm a, I'm, do you love Jesus? All right, plug your nose, all right? So uh, we, already, we actually already have three uh, that have, we didn't even, I mean, we haven't even announced it. We've already had three that have uh, registered to be baptized. And I'll tell you what, baptism is so exciting to me because it represents the transformation that happens when we surrender our lives to Christ. I love, the, this is my favorite part of the gospel, is it's the power to change. That no matter where you are, no matter what your life looks like right now, that when you encounter Christ in a real way, that your life literally can be transformed. And I know most of you in this room have already encountered that. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, I just, I love water baptism. I'm so, so excited about it. Uh, we're, we're in a series right now, actually about Jesus. It's, it's called He Gets Us. And uh, we're, we're almost through with this series, but I hope that it's blessed you as much as it's blessed me. The idea really was this, was we just wanted to talk about who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and, and my favorite part, how he changes our lives. Last week on Easter Sunday, the greatest Sunday of all Sundays for the disciples, for the, for the believers, we celebrated with, you know, Easter egg hunt and 25,000 eggs. And I don't know if you know this, but you ate over 200 donuts last Sunday, uh, by the way. Uh, I think it was like 19 dozen donuts. Um, it, we celebrated big water baptisms, you know, uh, people gave their hearts to Christ. We, I mean, just it was it was such a great weekend, and and I know you know weekends like Christmas and Easter they they get a lot of attention they get a lot of of, of fanfare and, and and I found myself this week just reflecting back on what a great you know weekend it was and then I started thinking but what about after Easter I mean you know that Easter Sunday is so much fun but what about Easter and because we've been talking about Jesus I actually started thinking like what about after the resurrection for 
for Jesus. Like, what did that look like? And I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, after he came back from the dead, he, he, he spent 40 days on the earth. And so I started this week just going through and looking at what, did the, what happened in those 40 days. Like, what, what was going on in, those, in that, that real, it's a, it's a quick period of time. We only have a few stories in the Gospels to even see what's happening there. But I, I just got to thinking, like, what can we learn from the, from the after Easter story? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And before we dig into it, I just want to pause. I want to invite you to say a really quick prayer. This is an important part of how we do things at Harvest because we, we take God's word really seriously. We, we're passionate about hearing from him. And I believe this. I believe that right in these next few moments that the Lord has a word for every single person that is here today and every person that's watching online. Like if you're making the effort to come and, and you're here and you're, you're ready to receive, I think God has a word for you. But we do this because we want to be really intentional, okay? I don't know what your morning looked like. I don't know all the things that may have happened already to this point in your day. But I want to make sure that in these next few moments that we push everything aside to just really listen to what the Lord has for us. And so that's the purpose of this prayer. So we just pause. If you're a guest here, we pause right now and we pray a prayer that says something like this, Lord, I'm listening. Will you talk to me today? It's a really simple prayer. And God answers those prayers, don't you think? And so how many of you will pray that prayer with me today? All right, let's do it right now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the, the chance that we have to be together in your presence. As we get ready to, to, to listen, to tune in, we, what we're doing is we're positioning our spiritual ears to hear from you. So we just say this morning, we're listening. Will you talk to us today? In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Maybe you've had this conversation before. Um, I know we've done this like on some long road trips, okay? We've had this conversation. If you knew that you were going to die in the next six months or a year or some period of time, what would you do differently? How would you live your life differently? We, we kind of had this conversation like, uh, you know, what trips would you go on or who would you see or who would you want to make sure that you talk to? Like, like what would you diff do differently if you knew that your time was coming? And, and I thought about it kind of a different twist on it this week. I thought, what, what about if you died and then came back to life? Because I was thinking about Easter, right? Like, what would you do in those, let's say you had 40 days like Jesus did. You came back, you had 40, like, what are you going to do in those 40 days? And I for sure would go and prank all of my friends. That's for sure what I would do. I would have so much fun, you know, just surprising them at work. You're like, hi, hey, Mitch, you know, I thought you were dead. I was, you know, I, I would have so much fun with that. What, what, what would you do? What would, what would you do if you, if you came back? And, and it actually made me think of, of uh, one of my favorite childhood books, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Does anyone remember this? I love, oh my goodness, I love The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And if you don't remember this part of the story, Tom and, and his buddy Huckleberry, they were going down the river and they fell off their raft and the raft, you know, went away and they got stranded for a little while. And then the, the town, they found the raft and they assumed that the boys were dead. Do you remember this? And 
And so they looked, they looked, they couldn't find him because the boys were hiding from him. And so they finally decided to do what? They had a funeral, right, for the boys. And the boys were hiding in the rafters of the church, listening to their own funeral, which, by the way, would be really weird, right? Really. And the preacher, he gives this very flattering, you know, sermon about these, these young boys, how nice they were, how kind they were. And, you know, Tom and Huckleberry up in the rafters like, we, we, didn't, we didn't know we were that, that loved and that kind, you know. And finally, they come and they come back and like, hey, we're alive, you know, kind of, kind of like Jesus did, right? What, what would you do if, if you had that, that chance to, to come back? And, and so I started looking at Jesus this week, and I found the, these stories in the Gospels. That, and I found four things that I, I noticed that Jesus did that I thought we could learn from today as we, as we look at Jesus and his life, what he said, what he did, how he changes our life. And the first one is this, is that immediately Jesus reengaged with his community. He reengaged with, with those that are the closest to him. Now, we already have talked about this in this series that Jesus had some very close relationships. He had the 12 disciples. Within the 12, he had those three that he was even closer to. He, he spent a lot of time with. And with these 12, he spent three years with, with them, doing everything together, living life with them. And then he goes to the cross. And then he goes to the grave. And I love that when he's resurrected, that literally the first thing that he does is he goes back to his friend group. That's the first thing that he does. Last week we read in Luke 24 how the women came to the tomb with the spices to care for the body of Jesus. And they get there, the stone's been rolled away, and two angels are there. And they, they announce, it's, it's I think my favorite Easter announcement, they announce to the women, they announce to the world, he's not here. He He's risen. And these two ladies, they go back and they, they go to, to the other disciples, but Peter has to see for himself. And so in verse 12, it says, Peter ran to the tomb and he bends over and he's looking in and he sees the, 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 the grave clothes that are laying there. And I, and I love this phrase. I mentioned it last week that Peter went away wondering to himself what had happened. And, and we have to acknowledge the insanity of this moment. I mean, this does not makes sense. They watched Jesus die on a cross. They watched his lifeless body be taken down. They watched it go into the tomb. And now all that's left there are the grave clothes. And this does not make sense. In the next few verses, we see two disciples that are walking along a road. They're about seven miles, the Bible says, from Jerusalem. They're headed to a town called Emmaus. There's two, two travelers. We only find one of their names, Cleopas, and the other one, we don't, they don't even tell us the name. And, and Luke writes in his gospel that, that they're walking down this road and they're talking about all of these events that had happened. That'd be a, kind of a fun conversation to, to be listening in on as they're, they're recapping the, the final events of Jesus' life and all the things. And, and they're, they're talking about this. And, and, and as they're, they're, they're talking about this, Jesus joins them. He He's walking down the road, and he, he comes upon them, and it, and it says, but they were kept from recognizing him. So this is kind of interesting, because Jesus joins them, but they don't, they don't realize that it's Jesus. And, and, and so Jesus actually says, hey, guys, what are you talking about? Right? He just, he just kind of joins them, and, and they start talking.
walk in, and, and the guys, they're, they're, they're confused because this is the biggest news of, of the area, right? That Jesus has been crucified on a cross. He's, he, he's, he's risen. His body can't be found. They don't know where he is. And so the guys look, and they're like, to say to Jesus, they don't know he's Jesus. But they say, are you not from around here? <laughs> Like, do, do, do you not get the paper? Do you, do you not, like, do you not understand, like, do you not understand what has been going on these last few days? And so they began to tell Jesus, which is kind of ironic, uh, about all the things that, that have happened up to this point. And Jesus ends up going into kind of a history lesson. He points them back to the Old Testament. And he begins to kind of bring back uh, some of the prophecies from the Old Testament that told, you know, that told us what was going to happen. And they get to the town where they're traveling. So they travel about seven miles. They get to Emmaus. And, and it's, it's funny to, to read it because, because they say that they're, they're going to stop. And Jesus says he's going to continue. And I, I actually think he wasn't going to continue but he was acting like it, right? Hoping they would stop him. Have you ever done that? You know, like you're hanging around someone after church, hoping they'll invite you to lunch, right? And you're like, and finally like, so what are you guys doing, you know, after church? Oh, we're going here. And like, oh, okay. I don't have anything to do. I really like that same food, right? You're just kind of, I think that's what Jesus is doing, right? He's like, he's kind of hanging out. And so they, they, they finally, they invite him. They're like, hey, Jesus. Well, they don't know he's Jesus yet. Hold on, I made a mistake. They're like, hey, you should stay and you should eat with us, okay? And this is what happens. This is what the Bible says, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. And watch this. Then their eyes were opened and they immediately recognized him. So interesting to me because if you remember in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the story of the Last Supper. And it's the same words. They're sitting at the table. Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, thanks, thanks his father for it, passes it out. And so something in this moment, it's, it's a very similar moment to the disciples. And they recognize it. And, and the bottom line is that that the Holy Spirit had prevented them from recognizing that it was Jesus. And now, in this moment, their eyes are opened. And then Jesus, he, after this, he leaves. And it says this in the next couple of verses. They got up and they returned to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those who were with them. They assembled together. And they, they come and they say, it's true. The Lord has risen. He appeared to Simon. And then they too told what happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized when they, op when they broke their bread together. And this is such an interesting story. You know, why did Jesus, you know, prevent them from recognizing him as they're walking on the road? Why did he reveal himself to them at a table as they shared a meal? And, and I, I really believe, and there's a lot of scholars who believe this as well, that Jesus chose to reveal himself at the dinner table for a very, for a very specific reason. And, and it really has to do with this idea that what did Jesus do after, after eating? Easter, well, first of all, he re-engaged with his community. He went back to his friends. And what you're going to see in these couple of stories we're looking at is that the table so often represents friendship, okay? Now, I, I don't know about you, but um, I don't, I, I, I want to go, go eat with my friends, but I really have no interest in eating with someone that I don't like, 
right? Like, if I, if I don't like you, why do I want to spend more time with you, right? Why do I want to break bread with you? Why do, so, so the table, it's this picture of friendship, and we see it here in this very first encounter with Cleopas and the other, the other disciple as they come together, and they're talking, and all of a sudden, their eyes are open. The other thing about the table is that the table is, it's a, it's a relaxing place. Have you noticed that? The table's a relaxing place. Like, like it's the place that, that you can, you can, especially in your own home, you can kind of be yourself, you know? I mean, there's nights where, you know, Lisa will call out to the girls, say, hey, hey, dinner's ready, right? And, and they're all doing different things, and we're all doing different things, and so maybe I come in from the garage, and I've got, you know, something on my hands, I gotta wash my hands, and Ava comes in, she's playing basketball, and Eden comes in, she's already in her pajamas, right? And we all come to the table, and there's no dress code, right? We're, we're not worried about, you know, any of that, it's just, it's a relaxing place, we're just sitting there, we're we're family or we're, you know, we're friends. We just come. We come to the table. It's calm. It's unhurried. And we just kind of sit. We eat. We, we, we talk about our day. We, we enjoy one another. The table is a place where relationships are, are strengthened. Here's the other thing about a table is a table is a, it's just a regular place. It's, a, it's kind of a fixture in most of our homes, right? Like, like I was in, uh, I was in uh, Justin and Annette's home last week for Easter, and, and some of you have this same setup. They have a table in their kitchen, and they have a table in, in their dining room. And they were talking to me about how we tend to eat certain meals at this table and other meals at, at that table, right? It's, it's just a place, a fixture. It's a place in your home where you gather with friends. And, and I just want to point out that that is how we see the first encounter with Jesus. Is he comes back and he reengages with his friends and he comes to the table with his friends. In the next uh, set of verses, we continue to see the same pattern. This is in Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. I'll just read it to you. It says, while they're still talking about this, so they're talking about the story we just, we just talked about, Jesus himself stood among them and he says to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, rightfully so, thinking that maybe they saw a ghost. And he said to them, listen to his words, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is, it is I. Touch me and see. He says, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, <laughs> I love this, do you have anything to eat? Jesus asked them, do you have anything to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And I just find this part hilarious, okay? I just, I don't know if you ever are reading the Bible and just laugh, but I often do because I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus was crucified on a cross. Then he was, he was put in a tomb. He laid there for three days. He was raised from the dead and he walked seven miles with these two friends. And then he walks into the home of his, of his other friends and he says, guys, I'm hungry. I mean, I've been through it, y'all. Yeah. Like, you don't even know what kind of day I had, right? I just, I just think it's hilarious. He's, he's hungry, right? Again, we see Jesus coming together with his, with his friends, eating with his friends. It's, it's a sign of friendship. He's, he's again, he's re-engaging with his friends. And then I'll show you one more 
John tells about one other interaction, and, uh, and, and I want to show you this, but I do need to give you a disclaimer about this one uh, that I'm going to read to you in John. And, and the disclaimer has to do with this, is that some of you enjoy teasing your pastor about how often he involves fishing stories in his sermons, okay? And I need to give a disclaimer that if I read a scripture that has a fishing story, that's not the same as a fishing story because I'm just reading the Bible, okay? Are we clear on that? Specifically, Mike and Rose and those that are in the production room right now. By the way, they have a tally board in the production room and they like to keep track of this. So this doesn't count as a fishing story. Are we clear on that? It does not count. Whoever, whoever, it doesn't count. John chapter 21 Verse 1, the title in the Bible, not mine, is The Miraculous Catch of Fish. All right, are you there? John 21. Verse 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so this is because Peter and Nathaniel and Thomas and the sons of Zebedee, and again, two other disciples that they don't tell us their names, they're all together. And Peter says, which by the way, I've always told you I like Peter. And the more I read about Peter, the more I realize why I like Peter. I'm going to show you a couple of things here. Peter says, I'm going fishing, all right? And the other disciples go, Peter, we're coming with you. And so they get their boat and they go out and the Bible says they fish all night, but they catch nothing. It's a, it's a bad fishing day. And, and verse four says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Again, kind of like the road to Emmaus. It says, but the disciples did not recognize him. So they're coming in on their boat. They see him standing on the shore. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. And I love this so much. Verse five, Jesus calls out to them. Listen to this word. He says, friends, that's how he calls out to them. Friends, haven't you caught any fish, right? And he's not rubbing it in. He's just checking on them. He's like, friends, have you caught any fish? And they, they holler back. They're still in their boat. They're coming in. They say, you know, we, we haven't caught any. It's, been a, it's been, been, a, been a tough night. And Jesus gives them some advice. You know, he's like, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, which is another. I just find it hilarious because, you know, he's talking to professional fishermen. And, and I can just imagine Peter, you know, under his breath, like, you don't think we've already tried that? You don't think I know how to catch fish? You know, come on, right? But they do. They throw the net on the other side of the boat, right? And, and it says there that when they do this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Verse 7 says this, The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord in this moment. Their eyes are opened again in the miracle. They say, it's, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, he, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, the scripture says. And I love this. This is one, of the, and one more thing I love about Peter. And he jumped into the water. He just, that's it, I'm going. He jumped into the water. And the other disciples stayed, and they followed in the boat. Y'all, Peter is so impulsive, right? And we saw this a couple weeks ago where he cut the soldier's ear off. Do you remember that, right? And, and he's just, he's, he's always doing stuff. And here, Peter's so excited. He's so impulsive. He's like, can't even wait. And he jumps and he's swimming, right, to get to his friend, Jesus. He leaves the other disciples. He just goes for it. And verse 9 says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it, and some bread. So again, in every one of these stories, we're seeing the same pattern, okay? It's, this, this in, it's, it's the international sign of friendship, cooking for someone, right? 
Jesus is hanging out on the beach and he's cooking for his friends. Now, again, I don't have answers to some of these questions, but I'm like, you know, Jesus just came back from the dead. He, he just surprised the two guys on the road to Emmaus, and then he surprised the disciples in the house, and now he's on the beach. Where did Jesus get the ingredients to bake bread? Where did he get the fit? Like, and I know he's Jesus. He could have done anything, but I just wonder these things. Like, like what really happened? And he's, and he's cooking for his friends. And verse 10 says this, Jesus said to them, uh, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, right? Because he, he had jumped out. He's dripping wet. He gets back in the boat. It's full of large fish. And, and I love the, the, the detail here, 153, okay? That, and by the way, if you are a fisherman here, uh, my rule is this. If you want to come tell me a fishing story, you better have a picture or you're a liar, okay? That's just how it works. If you don't have a picture, it didn't happen, okay? John knew that, so he, he was very specific. 153 large fish, so many that the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, here it is, here's the invitation, come and have breakfast. Come have breakfast. Come, come eat. Come to the table. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now, this was, the, the Bible says this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So what did Jesus do in these 40 days? Number one, he went back to his friends. We have a core value here at Harvest. You've probably heard it if you've been here for very long. It's this. We don't do life alone. That's the way that we use to communicate the, the value that we have for community. That we don't want you doing life alone. We don't want you living in isolation. We want you to have some people that are, that are part of your church that you can count on, that you can pray with, that you can go to life group with, that you can eat with, that you can play pickleball with, that you can, like, that you can just do life with. And we're really, really serious about this core value. And, and I'll say it this way. I'll often tell people, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You are the byproduct of the people that you're hanging out with. And I just love that, that we can learn a lot from Jesus pre-crucifixion. But in these few lessons that we have from Jesus in these final 40 days that he's on earth, that we can learn from this really brief window the, the importance of community. I love that Jesus goes right back to his closest friends for these last 40 days. Here, here's the second lesson I think we learned from Jesus is that Jesus repaired what had been broken, okay? He repaired the broken. So all the way to the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples never fully understood what Jesus' plan was, right? For three and a half years, they're together. Jesus is trying to explain to them what he's gonna do and they never really get it. If you go back to the two guys who are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus asks them, but they don't know he's Jesus, they he asked them, he said, hey, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? And they said this. They said in verse 20 and 21, the chief priests and the rulers handed him, meaning Jesus, over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And then verse 21, this is so revealing that they, they still don't get it. This, they, 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 don't, they don't understand it. It says, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, the disciples, this is, this is post-crucifixion, this is post-resurrection, 
They still were confused about Jesus' plan for the earth. They said, you know, we hoped that, that this was how it was going to happen. Can, can I ask you a question? Have you ever made plans for Jesus? Come on. I know you have. Come on. Have you, have you ever made your own plans for Jesus? Sometimes we mask them in a prayer, right? And we go to the Lord and we, we're like, hey, Lord, I just want to talk to you about this, right? But then we just go on. We're not really asking him. We're like, God, it'd be really good if... And we start laying out our plans for what we think that Jesus should do. And we often include how he should do it and why he should do it and when he should do it. And we lay out all of these plans. And, and, and listen, that's just human nature. And that we see it in the disciples too. They were with Jesus for three and a half years, but they still didn't get it. Now here's the reality for you and I. If we had someone in our life that for three and a half years we were sharing with them a plan and then, and then it came down to it and they still didn't get it, I'll just, I'll just tell you this, I would be frustrated. I'm like, come on, why aren't you getting, how many times have I told you, right? Have you ever, I've said that to my kids, I really have. How many times have I told you? If I tell you one more time, right? But Jesus, he didn't come back with that. He didn't come back to the disciples and say, guys, I told you this was going to happen, right? He didn't come back. He didn't come back with that. Instead, he met them in their uncertainty and their fear. We, we see it in a couple of the stories post-resurrection. We see it when Jesus consoled the women who are at the empty tomb and they discover that he's gone. And, and Jesus actually shows up to console them. He, he gives them words of peace. He, he offers comfort. He doesn't scold them for not understanding what he'd been trying to, to teach them. He understood that in this moment that their hearts had been broken and so Jesus did what he always did, and he repaired the broken hearts. Matthew chapter 28 says this, verse 8, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. <laughs> Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Guys, don't be afraid. Now go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So he comforts them. Again, we see it in John's gospel. John chapter 20, Mary's standing outside of the tomb and she's crying as she wept. It says she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw the two angels in the white uh, seat of where Jesus' body had been, one at one end and one at the other. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? He says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener there in the, in the in, you know, taking care of the, of the tombs there, thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've cared him, why just tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And I love this part so much. Jesus said to her, said one word, Mary. He used her name. Do you have some people in your life that, that all they have to do is say your name and there's so much communicated, right? Do you remember um, maybe growing up, my parents had several different ways to use my name and they all meant different things. Do, do any of you have parents like that, that they could say it, it's the, same, it's the same name, but it was the tone, right? It was how they said it, Right? I'll tell you a real quick story. I grew up as, my, my parents were pastors. I was a pastor's kid. And one time, um, I, was, I was misbehaving in church. 
And uh, my mom got on to me. I was sitting back, you know, a little ways. And, and I didn't like that my mom was getting on to me. And so I decided to take things into my own hands. And so I stood up while my dad was preaching. And I started to march myself right down to the front. And my dad said, Jason. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I knew in that moment that a spanking was in my future. <laughs> he looked at me, he said, turn around, go back and sit by your mom, I'll deal with you later. And I turned around and I marched my little behind back to my mom's chair and I sat down and he did deal with me later. He did, very swiftly. Whew. There's a lot in a name, Right? Jesus didn't say, Mary. He, he wasn't mad. He wasn't, there, there, there's so much love in this moment. Very gently, he just, he, he, all he does is he, is he speaks her name, and she turns, and she cries out. She says, Rabbani, teacher. She, she instantly, she knows. I, I love how simply he used her name. Think about all that's communicated in this moment. It, it really kind of ties back to our, our first point of coming back to the friendships, right? He just, he, he just uses that name. It's, it's an intimate moment. It's a powerful moment. And then we come to this story where, where Thomas, uh, y'all know him as old doubting Thomas, right? Uh, poor guy, he made one mistake and for, for the rest of history, right? We've, we've labeled him, right? Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were labeled by your, one mis- by your biggest mistake, can you imagine? And everyone knew it, you know, that was, you just put your name out there on Facebook, you know, you know old cheating Tom, you know, can you imagine? I'm, this is such a bad game to play because I'm just going to stop, you get it. <laughs> doubting Thomas, old doubting Thomas, right? Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed up and all the disciples were like, Jesus showed up and Thomas said, I don't believe it guys, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my own eyes. I want to see the holes in his hands. I want to put my finger in it, which is kind of weird, but that's what he said. I want to put my finger right there in the hole in his hands. And Jesus shows up in John chapter 20, and Jesus doesn't scold Thomas. He eases his doubts. And verse 27, he says, he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. See, Jesus repairs our brokenness with an invitation to come close. That's what I love about that encounter with Thomas is that for Thomas to come close enough to see his hands and see his feet, that he had to come close. Jesus wasn't, he didn't didn't scold him. He said, Tom, come come here, come here, Tom. Let let me just show you. Let me show you. And he invites him to, to come close. Now, we've been, as a church, we've been on a journey to learn more about Jesus. And I think this is, This is a part of the story we should pay attention to because Jesus has always been in the business of repairing our brokenness. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 147 verse 3 says this, speaking about Jesus says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, there's this prophecy about Jesus, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Just telling you, if you read through the Gospels, what you'll see time and time again is that Jesus has always been about repairing the broken hearts. 
And the good news for you and me today is, and he still does. He still does. If you're here today and there's a brokenness in your heart because of something that's happened in your life, some, some difficulty, some pain, some, some, something's happened, I'm, just, I'm here to tell you some good news that Jesus is still in the business of repairing broken hearts. Here's the third thing we see in Jesus' final 40 days on earth is that, number three, Jesus redeemed mistakes. He redeemed mistakes. Now, I have to be clear that Jesus himself never made a mistake, all right? He was perfect. They call him the spotless lamb. That means he never, he never made a mistake. He never sinned, okay? So Jesus isn't here to redeem his mistakes. He's here to redeem others' mistakes, all right? And this is good news because how many of you have ever made a mistake? Anyone? Anyone made a mistake? This is good news that Jesus came to redeem our mistakes. Now, probably the most powerful story that illustrates this is actually in these final 40 days. If you remember the story of Peter, you remember that before Jesus is crucified, he tells Peter, Peter, you are gonna deny me how many times? Do you remember? Three times. And Peter is like, no way, no way. I'm Peter, I'm the rock, I'm so strong, there's no way. But he does. You remember the story, right? He, he denies Jesus three times, three different times. He hears the, the rooster crow and he realizes what he's done. But by then it's too late. Now Jesus is being taken to the cross. He's crucified. He's put in a tomb. Can you imagine all that's going through Peter's head as he's watching his, his, his friend die? He's like, I let him down. I told him I want it, but I did. I let him down. I, I turned my back on him. I can't believe. Can you imagine the regret? that Peter has. And now Jesus comes back, he's, he's resurrected, and he comes back, and there's this amazing encounter in John chapter 21. I'll, I'll read it to you, and we'll talk about it. Verse 15, it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? Second time, right? How many, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Remind me. Okay, three times. Okay, so this, this is the second time that Jesus is saying to, to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And again, he answered, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds again, take care of my sheep. The third time, okay, I, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Okay, it was three times. And how many times now is Jesus talking to Peter? This is a, okay, this is the third time. Okay, I'm just, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little confused here. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter gets his feelings hurt because he's asked him three times, right? This is, this is, like, this is like the same interaction. This isn't three separate interactions. This is the same interaction. I mean, just imagine, right? You go, you go home after church and, and you're eating lunch and you look at your spouse and you say, do you love me? And like, oh yeah, of course. You know I love you. No, no, but really, do you love me? Yes, I love you. No, I just need to ask you one more time, right? Three times. So Peter gets a little bit hurt and he says, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says a third time, feed my sheep. I've always thought this was a kind of a weird story, you know. Like, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Like, what, what in the world is that about? 
And I'll show you this scripture in just a minute, but you probably remember the story where Jesus announced over Peter, he says, he says Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Do you remember that? It was this, this announcement that Peter was going to be a main player in the, in the, in the establishment and the growth of, of the church here on earth. And so what is happening here is Jesus is affirming Peter. It, it seems like he's questioning him, right? Like, do you love me? But really it's a chance for him to affirm. He said, he's saying, Peter, feed my sheep. In other words, go back to the original purpose that I announced over your life. You're still the rock. I know you let me down, but you're still the rock. I know you let me down. You're still the rock. I know you let me down. Just do what I told you to do, Peter. Just get to work. Go build my church. Feed my sheep. He's giving them a mission is what he's doing, which is really the last thing that we see that Jesus does, not just for Peter, but for all of us, is that Jesus repeats his command. He repeats it. So, so all through Jesus' ministry, he knew he was going to leave the earth and go to his father. And so he's constantly trying to train the disciples to get ready to take the baton when, when it's time to carry on his mission. Like in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus pulls together 72, not just the 12, but 72 of the disciples, and he anoints them, and he sends them out two by two to go to every town where they're, they're supposed to go out, and he says these famous words. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then verse three says this. He just says, go. He, he gets the 72 together, pep talk, and he says, go, and he sends them out, right? Over and over, we see Jesus preparing the disciples, getting them ready, sending them out. Matthew 16, 18, this is what I just referenced, is that Peter, he says to Peter, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Time and time again, Jesus tells the, tells the disciples that the kingdom of God is going to come through them into the earth, that they're going to be the ones that, that plant churches. They're going to be the one that lead people into the kingdom. They're going to be the ones that are out in the river baptizing. They're going to be the ones that are going to lay hands on the sick, and the sick are going to be made whole. They, the disciples are going to be the ones. Jesus knew he had a really short time on the earth, and that they were going to be the ones. And then they kind of got sucker punched with the crucifixion. They started to doubt, and they started to wonder. And Jesus comes back. And I love that in these last 40 days that he comes back and he, he reminds them of their purpose. He repeats his command. He, he gives them a mission and, and really, frankly, he gives all of us a mission in this. This is a couple of verses that we actually call the Great Commission. We see it a couple places in the Gospels. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he, he gathers the disciples. He's, he's about to leave the earth for real this time, right? For real. It's, gonna, it's about to happen. He's about to, he's gonna be, he's gonna be taken up to be with his father. He's not, he's not coming back. And he says to them, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So he gets his disciples together, goes, Hey, you know that thing I've been telling you for three years? Remember, remember I've been telling you, you're gonna be my disciples and you're gonna plant churches and you're gonna lay hands on the sick. And he, he says, All right, guys, for real, I'm about to leave. Go and make disciples, preach the gospel to all creation. I love how Matthew records it because it says it this way, Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said, I love how he, how he says it here. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he reminds them one last time, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I love how he sandwiches that one. He's like, I'm I'm, I'm sending you out, but do not forget that I am always with you. And Harvest, I would just love to remind you on the Sunday after Easter (laughs) that you have a mission. Now, I know you have a job as well, but don't get confused because your job is not your purpose. Your job is a means to an end. You know, Lisa and I, in the last several weeks, we were getting ready for open house and we were really, she more than I, she spent a lot of work really helping us get some clarity around the things we were going to be presenting. And so we were working on, you know, we're just uh, fine-tuning our, our core values and making them easily to, easy to communicate. And we were talking about, about this vision statement idea. And we kind of laughed because, you know, Lisa said to me, she goes, I mean, shouldn't every church have the same mission? Like, it's just the Bible, right? <laughs> like, how many... How many cute ways can we all say the same thing? Like we're here to bring the kingdom of God into the world and to make disciples, right? And so we just kind of had fun thinking about about that. And and I know churches have different expressions of how we all do it. I get that. But can I just remind you today that that every single one of you, if you're a follower of Christ, that, that you have a purpose? Plain and simple, your purpose is not just to make it to heaven, but it's to bring as many people with you in the process. To share what, what's in your heart, what Jesus has done in your life with your friends, with your neighbors, with, with your enemies, <laughs> with anybody, with everybody. Like that is your purpose. Harvest, why don't you stand with me? We're gonna, we're gonna close this morning. I wanna do two things. My heart really was drawn to these two ideas that, that when Jesus came back, that he repaired the broken and he redeemed the mistakes. And I just felt that that was where the Holy Spirit was leading me to, to take you today is that maybe you're here today and you identify with those parts in particular that you need the Lord to repair some brokenness in your heart or to redeem some mistakes in your life. And I'm just so thrilled to tell you that Jesus didn't just do it then, but he still does it today. And so our worship team is going to lead us in a final song. And and this is strategically placed in our service order to give the Holy Spirit a chance to just help you to identify those places in your life that that you will need to surrender to him. And so I would just encourage you as as we're singing this last song to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna, I'll just tell you now, I'm gonna ask you, I'm I'm literally gonna ask you, who in this room needs the Lord to repair the, the brokenness in your life? Who in this room needs the Lord to redeem a mistake in your life? And we're gonna lift our hands, because listen, we have all made mistakes. We have all experienced brokenness. It's not something we're ashamed here. One, one of the, our other core values here has to do with authenticity. Y'all, we really pursue authenticity. So there's no point, in other words, to getting to this point and going, amen, so glad that Jesus repairs our brokenness. I just wish there were some broken people in here, you know? 
Yes, he, he, he redeems our mistakes. It's a good thing I'm perfect, right? No, there's no reason to play that game. And so the Holy Spirit's gonna, he's gonna stir your heart in these final moments. And then we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask the Lord to do what only he can do. It's my favorite part of the service. God's gonna move. I'm just telling you, you should get ready. So worship team, will you lead us in our final song? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.